0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So uh, here we are after two days of practice for some, or 10 or so days of practice for others. Has the retreat gone as you expected? Did it go according to plan? <laughs> Did you quiet down in time? <laughs> Did your body cooperate with sufficient time left in the retreat to enjoy the time here? For those who are here for the weekend particularly, a weekend often is um, a time where the practice generally shows us how out of control things are. (laughs) This is one of the great gifts of a weekend. You might have had all sorts of ideas of what was going to happen. Or maybe you had some ideas that you didn't have ideas about what was going to happen, and they kind of snuck in. Mm. But it's kind of humbling to see how little control we have over our experience. And when you come here, there's so many new things to, to get adjusted to. The structure of the schedule, the stillness, the silence. when to walk, how to eat, being in a new environment with a roommate that you've never met before in closed quarters, and a wake-up bell at six o'clock or so, it almost is guaranteed to bring up some kind of resistance in the first day. Gee, this isn't fun. Why would somebody put themselves through this? And what you see, particularly in that resistance, is that things can't be fixed and arranged to our liking. This doesn't have to be a problem. Sometimes we think, oh no, you know, I'm not going to get it the way I like. It's not going to go the way I planned. But that's actually a very rich part of the practice. Because if it went just the way you thought it would, what would you end up reflecting on? I was right. (laughs) See how smart I am? In order to have an insight, and this is sometimes called insight meditation as you probably know, there has to be a newness. A discovery to your experience in order to have any kind of aha, look at that. It means it can't go the way you planned it. How could it? How could you get an insight from that? This is also the predicament of an infinitely creative universe that it doesn't go according to our plan. It's not predictable. This is one of the mysteries of life. Constantly new creation, new events, new situation. That's what makes it fascinating, among other things. But still, we want to hold on to having this idea of control. (coughs) Not having control is scary, isn't it? Maybe the good stuff will go just when I finally got a good meditation, uh uh-oh, what if it goes the next time? Or maybe the bad stuff is going to stay. Or maybe I'm going to really see in all its glory my imperfections and and weaknesses and um, shortcomings. And so part of the practice is learning to give up this control or this imagined control What's the alternative? You never had control anyway. So you can either hold on to thinking that maybe if you trick the universe that you can get it and then just be tricked again, or to somehow work with this fact that it's really out of our hands. And as I say, this is scary. And what I particularly would like to talk about tonight is this whole issue of fear. In practice, it's a control issue. It's also an issue that brings us to the very crux of the problem. Because fear is contraction. In relationship to experience. It's a very strongly conditioned habit. We contract when things are unpleasant, we want to avoid them. It's very understandable. We contract even when things are delightfully pleasant. We want to engulf them and possess them and take them in. We're afraid of losing them. Fear, when it's skillfully worked with and understood, is really one of the very deep areas of growth in practice. Fear is the movement from the known to the unknown. This is when it comes up. The familiar, the comfortable out into something new, some new territory, some new frontier. And it's amazing how we can hold on to the familiar, even when it's unpleasant, at least it's familiar. We can hold on to our old stories, our old pains, our old images, because we know them. They're kind of home to us. was struck by uh, a painting I saw a number of years ago by uh, this woman, Michelle Casu, who who teaches creative process through art. It's really Vipassana in art. And she was showing uh, one of her paintings. She was going through this death cycle in, in uh, in her mind and in her artwork. And this one painting, I'll never forget it, she had died and there she was in the coffin, underground, and there were maggots and worms and it was dank and and really um, what you'd imagine, if you can imagine what a coffin would be like that had been uh, invaded by, by little creatures. And through this coffin there was a, a shaft of light that went through the ground up to the sky to this beautiful heaven realm, celestial realm, where she had a a beautiful Buddha and some other celestial beings there. And she said, as she was sharing this painting, she said, you know, I knew as I was painting this, all I had to do from the grave was just decide to go up the, the shaft into that celestial realm, just one thought away. But the interesting thing was, It was kind of comfortable where I was, Uh It just seemed like a lot of effort to get up out of the grave into the heaven realm. And in a way, we can often find ourselves in that same predicament, just hanging out with the known, the familiar, and the comfortable, even when it doesn't serve us, even when it's painful for us. Because the thought of going into new territory might be a little bit too much to handle. thinking of the movement from the known to the unknown as the uh, the place where fear comes up, given that the fundamental law of the universe is change, just reflect on this, change is the one thing we can be certain of. There's a predicament here. How can we stay fixed in the, pl- in the present and in the pleasant? How can we find any kind of happiness or comfort or peace in trying to hold on to any experience, trying to hold on to our present situation? It can't be done. And yet we try to do it. Isn't it amazing how we get tricked by that, even when we know better? We can read all sorts of books on the Buddhist teachings or spiritual awakening and see for ourselves again and again and again how things change. And yet we get tricked. Maybe this one will stay amazing. Fear as was mentioned uh, in the inquiry before, alluded to. fear is always about the future. It's future-oriented. Have you noticed it in your sittings when you're perhaps getting an ache in your body and it might be kind of unpleasant, but then the thought creeps in, well, it's unpleasant now, but what about five minutes from now? It can really be a problem. And then all of a sudden from the bare experience of the sensation, there's much more difficult thing to contend with, the mind creation of what might be. Fear is always a creation of mind. There might be good reasons, there might be um, an understandable stimulus that brings it up. What is fear? It's a thought in the mind about what might happen in the future, whether two minutes from now or a month from now. One thing that I think is important to consider and remember as as we work with fear in practice, that fear is not an enemy. It's not the enemy. It's a signal. It's an indication, something to pay attention right here. It can be a useful signal. It can be a sign that there's danger around. You know, just that sense, perhaps, either in retreat or outside in retreat, just an inkling that there might be something to concern yourself with. And sometimes it's it's very useful to to get those inklings and trust your intuition. We don't want to be naive and walk right into the lion's den, but oftentimes it's not so useful, and what it does is when we believe it, when we become embattled with it, it blocks that state of naturalness of our unfolding. And so it becomes confusing to us. And it gives rise to all sorts of difficulties. It manifests as anger. It manifests as wanting. It manifests as doubt. It manifests as worry. It manifests as spacing out, wanting to avoid. In short, it manifests as five classical hindrances plus lots of other kinds of emotions. And when it becomes a pattern of response that we don't understand, it can manifest as a whole uh, pattern of, uh, of activity and become... A large part of the personality. Whether it's codependent, wanting to find everybody's approval by taking care of them, or as a bully, we all know about the insecureness uh, of a bully, or a very shy person. It's a common uh, list of. Uh, of fearful things, speaking in front of public audiences is usually rated higher than death on most most lists. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's unnerving. I'm, I'm a shy kind of guy. When I think about what I do with a lot of my time, it's amazing. You know? And I still get shy and nervous and, uh, in talking to, to people. What if I don't come out good? What if I... Uh, and seen for just little Jamie from Queens. You know? <laughs> 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 what if your worst fear comes true? What if? <laughs> and you probably can see it in, in your own retreat that either timidity or presentation wanting to somehow Look better than you are. Maybe then you'll be accepted. maybe then you'll fit in. On one retreat I was doing, I, I noticed this habit of of mine in the retreat, just being so aware of people around me as the influence in how I would practice. and I'd be doing walking meditation very, very mindfully. if nobody would be around and I, I use the mental noting as as many people you're familiar with, and just going, lifting, moving, placing, lifting, moving, placing. Somebody would come into the room, and all of a sudden, I'd notice a whole different way that I'd have of, of walking, and I started to um, to catch it and decided to give myself a label for it. So I'd be, lifting, moving, looking good, looking good, <laughs> lifting, <laughs> looking, looking good, looking good. It it served me, uh, because I used it a lot. (laughs) And it's just amazing to see how that operates, that fear that somehow we won't be good enough. Have you noticed it in your own comparing mind? You're not doing it as well as everybody else. They've all got it, I'm sure. Not me. Here I am, just spacing out, or sleeping, or... (sighs) going through my same problem that I went through in the last eight retreats. I can't believe it. (laughs) And everybody else is so close, a breath away from enlightenment. (laughs) (laughs) This quality and this fear can often be connected with a sense of unworthiness, that I'm just not good enough. Worthiness, unworthiness. Self-acceptance is probably what 95% that's probably a conservative estimate 95% at least people go through in the journey of, of their practice somehow coming to terms with the fact that you're okay it's amazing how we have that program in us in a way it's maybe a function of this separation that somehow the universe plays with us makes us think that we're we're outside of it and maybe if I get good enough I'll belong I once heard the Dalai Lama um, talk about unworthiness and it really struck me saying it's a very grave misunderstanding very great incorrect understanding to think that you are not worthy what makes you think that Everything else in the universe belongs, and somehow you're a mistake. What makes you think that life doesn't flow through you the way it flows through everything else? But still, we have it. I remember going to uh, a teacher who a number of people have heard of, who was in the Inquiring Mind uh, issues a couple of issues back. This is teacher, Punjaji, in India, was a wonderful teacher. And he would be talking about complete freedom, complete enlightenment, and I'd let my mind go where it went and saying, Well, you know, what about karma? You know, what if your karma isn't to be, you know, fully enlightened in this lifetime? So I I would ask him things like this, you know, how do I know that that my karma is right for full enlightenment? How do I know that that I have enough Grace, if you, if you want to call it that. And he looked at me with, with loving and, uh, and beaming eyes. He said, look at you. You come across the world. You come to good circumstance with deep longing, deep conviction. Good friends, good teacher, good circumstances. Your neck deep in grace. And you don't understand this. Neck deep in grace. Yeah. And still you say, there you are neck deep and you ask if you have enough grace. (laughs) Neck deep in grace. And here we all are having the opportunity to sit for a weekend or for ten days because there's something in us that so deeply wants to discover the truth that's so genuine and sincere that's not Doing it to impress anybody, although those thoughts might come up from time to time. That's putting yourself through all of this because there's a place in you that yearns to wake up or be free or have your heart opened or whatever the image that you have of of what this practice leads to is. Something so genuine and still you might doubt whether you have it, whether you have what it takes to do it. It's the sincerity that you bring. This is the secret ingredient. And still, we get afraid that we're not enough. It's a long-standing habit. There's a habit that we have of worrying of what's going to happen. And I come from a lineage of worriers. You know, I, I have that one down very well. When I would grow up, and my, my parents, especially my mother, would, would jokingly. Uh, referred to it, but there was a place that really she believed it. If you're not putting in your time worrying, you're wasting it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Because it keeps things safe. <laughs> it's like that, uh, you know that Mullah Nasruddin story, you might you probably heard where Mullah, Nasr- Mullah Nasruddin, this eccentric Sufi uh, teacher and uh, um, fool, wise man, he, he he's throwing uh, breadcrumbs around outside of his house. And one of his, his students says, oh, what are you throwing these gr- breadcrumbs around? He said, to keep away the tigers. And the student said, there's no tigers for hundreds of miles around. And he says, effective, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and that's in a way what we do with our worries. Maybe if we worry enough, we'll keep everything together. <laughs> and so fear just becomes a habit of mind that we take for granted. Fear also comes from a sudden change when we're not quite ready for things. You know, if you've ever had a surprise party, you know, it's really unnerving. You know? <laughs> 10 or 20 or 50 people yelling, surprise! Uh, That's supposed to be done with great affection, and and yet it's really scary. I don't know who thought of surprise parties. But when the system gets shocked, when it's not ready to take things in, it's quite unsettling. It can't process the information. (laughs) There's not enough transition time. And we know from circumstances, um, when we're prepared for things, when we have some kind of a sense of either what's going to happen or what might happen, or not to dwell on the worst, but just to get get a game plan, some sense of of the possibilities, then it's so much easier to respond with, with skill and wisdom. And in the last few years in hospitals, they're much more aware of how when a patient understands the operation fully, knows what the recovery period and process will be, that the healing is so much better rather than kind of surprising it on you. Oh, you'll be okay. And then there's the bewilderment where they don't know what's going on. I've seen this time and again with with my son, who's um, now almost seven, that if I pick the right time to let him know what's coming, that I might be going away and teaching for ten days, or that... Uh, there's going to be some big shift in the routine. If I pick the right time and he knows it, it's quite easy to process. But if it's a little bit too soon, or a little bit unexpected, something as mild as, oh, there's going to be a babysitter tonight, you know, <laughs> where he's gone through countless nights with babysitters that he loves, it can be very jarring. And it's the same way with us. We can be overwhelmed when there's a sudden abrupt shift, even when it's something wonderful. In the practice, it's quite common for people who are not used to it to start feel some excitation and some good feelings and sensations and, and even some bliss. And when it's a little bit too much too soon, it can be really frightening. And so joy itself can be a source of of fear. I can remember one time, uh, my earlier uh, days of practice, having this experience where I just felt like I was going to explode. There was all this wonderful sensations, but I didn't know how to handle it. And I went running to the teacher saying, uh... I think it's a bit much right now. I think it's I'm going to be exploding soon, you know. <laughs> okay, just breathe through your heart, you know, feel yourself grounded, you know. And it was a, a a kind of process of just getting used to an abrupt change of the energy. And so our practice is is really enriched by noticing those times where fear comes up. Noticing how we react to it, noticing what our expectations are, noticing what sets it off. One invaluable tool in practice or attitude in practice is to let go of what you expect. Because having an expectation is the kiss of death. That's why at the beginning of the weekend, I I think I mentioned that mantra, it's okay, it's okay. Whatever's happening is okay. And in that attitude, it's not that you have to make any experience occur, but just be ready and willing for the next moment's gift, the next possibility. And as we become a bit more able to do that, there's a whole different attitude towards the unknown. Instead of meeting it with breaks, instead of trying to slow up the process, as we do practice more and more, generally, there's a feeling, a spirit of adventure, wow, I wonder what's going to happen next, no idea, but I wonder, it'll surely be interesting. And it's a whole different way of approaching. Every time I do a retreat, I've got no idea. I've learned by now. You can't have any set game plan. And so there's this journey that I'm taking. I wonder what's gonna happen this time. And it's, it's fascinating when you do it in that spirit, that spirit of discovery. And what we learn each time we encounter fear and we survive it is the fact that we have the capacity to meet our experiences. We have a sense of confidence all the times in the past. Think of how many times you've been frightened in the past, whether it's been on retreat or in your life. How many times? A hundred? A 1, thousand, twenty thousand. How many fears have you seen come? And then dealt with, and then pass on to something else. This gives tremendous confidence if you look back and see, oh yes, I have the capacity. This is what's called verified faith. Nobody can take that away from you. You can handle it. Somehow, when fear comes, it seems so large When it confuses us, it seems like this one might be the one to engulf us when we really get lost. This is sometimes called pressing the panic button. And if we can somehow give just a little bit of space around that fear, around the experience, be larger, being larger than the fear, so that it is not the only reality that there is, but somehow holding it with compassion, holding it with understanding, then it's seen for what it is. What is it? It's simply a thought in the mind. A few weeks ago, uh, or a couple of months ago, Sogyal Rinpoche, the Tibetan uh, teacher, came to Spirit Rock and, and gave a talk. I, I wasn't there, but I, I heard the tape. and. Uh, heard a lot of reports um, shortly after he gave it. And he said, uh, I can sum up all of the teaching in two words. That got people's attention. <laughs> I can sum up all of the teaching in two words. And then he said, This is the teaching be spacious. Be spacious. If we can remember to be spacious around our experience, we can hold it with some ease. If it is the only reality we have, then it's very frightening. And if our fear becomes bigger than us, then we just want to run and hide. The spaciousness comes from that wisdom that it is just a thought. When you have the fear come up, how do you experience it? How can you deal with it skillfully? Often people have the idea of letting things be or accepting them as uh, some kind of resignation. Okay, it's here. I'll just hang out with it. It'll pass sooner or later. They said it would. You know. <laughs> but that's not what this practice is. Is truly about. It's not about resigning yourself. But there can be a proactive attitude of exploring. The curiosity itself has in it the power to dispel the fear. Not that you're doing it in order for it to go away, but instead of gritting your teeth and bearing it and saying, okay, here's fear, fear, fear. If, instead, you can have this attitude of, as I mentioned before, discovery, of curiosity. Okay, come on over here. Let's see you. Let's feel you for what you are. It might be a little bit hard to stay with it for a long time, but just for a short time. Okay, for this next minute, let's feel you. What is it? What do I feel when I'm afraid? In my stomach, the knot, or my chest pounding, or my throat constricting, or my, my mind swirling, or heavy, or agitated. Let's feel you. Come on over here, you old companion. And in that curiosity, there's no way that you can be contracted. Because it's an open and um, vibrant attitude when you're exploring it. Not with an answer, not with an agenda, but simply to see it for what it is. And the amazing thing, when you look directly into fear, is you see how quickly it passes. You see how ephemeral it is. How can how can you hold on to it? When you're in that open, exploring attitude, the contraction isn't operating. But as I say, there's a a warning. You can't look at it in order for it to go away. It knows when you're trying to do that. (laughs) You You can't trick it. But a genuine kind of discovery, it doesn't last very long. It might come back. Okay, come on back again. By the hundredth time or the ten-thousandth time, oh, I know this one we can call this one terror, okay? (laughs) This one panic. Oh, this one just fear. And so you discover how insubstantial it is, how quickly it passes. You see something deeper than the fear. There's something that understands and holds it, the awareness is much vaster than the fear. Somehow we get in, uh, tricked into identifying with all the yucky stuff, often. We see fear, or we see anger, or we see loneliness, oh, that's who I am, yep. Yeah. But the awareness that sees it all, somehow, that's kind of an accident that happened, oh, I had a few moments of awareness and of came and went, this other stuff is really me. Well, you might not say any of it is really you, but if you're going to identify with something, just acknowledge that the awareness is there that can hold it all. This isn't you either, but it's coming through you, and it's something to be honored. And if we can simply relax into that awareness, we can have trust that anything can be felt and experienced, then the fear not only isn't a problem, it becomes, as I said before, a signal. It becomes the scout to new territory. Ah, as, as Jack Cornfield says, he calls it the, the voice that says, about to grow. Deep relaxation. This is one of my favorite Dharma passages. I, I saw this was handed out at the, the first <laughs> retreat. I came to the second one, and so most of you haven't, haven't heard it, at least this time around. Just read a little bit of the possibility of holding it with deep awareness from uh, Lama Gendun Rinpoche. Happiness cannot be found through great effort and will- willpower but is already here, in relaxation and letting go. Don't strain yourself. There's nothing to do. Whatever arises in the mind has no importance at all, because it has no reality whatsoever. Don't become attached to it. Don't pass judgment. Let the game happen on its own, springing up and falling back, without changing anything, and all will vanish and reappear without end. Only our searching for happiness prevents us from seeing it. It is like a rainbow which you run after without ever catching. Although it does not exist, it has always been there and accompanies you every instant. Don't believe in the reality of good and bad experiences. They are like rainbows, wanting to grasp the ungraspable you exhaust yourself in vain. As soon as you relax this grasping, space is there, open, inviting, and comfortable. So make use of it. All is yours already. Don't search any further. Don't go into the inextricable jungle looking for the elephant who's already quietly at home. Nothing to do, nothing to force, nothing to want, and everything happens by itself. This is a place of spaciousness that can hold the most terrifying thought. Just a moment of remembering to relax. And it's kind of uh, elusive in that deep contraction. But just one moment of remembering, oh, I will survive this too. Let me just feel this for a moment. Let me explore it. Let me deeply open to it. And the attitude shift allows for things to move on their own. When we can hold the fears with understanding, with kindness, they become the fuel for compassion. Because we see how easily we get caught in our own being and how deep the habits are and as you see it in yourself you're that much more able to understand when other people get confused get caught in their fears then there's a sense of connection one thing to keep in mind about fear is each encounter is very powerful how we relate to this encounter with fear this one that's about to come, whenever it is, it conditions us in relating to future encounters in a like way. If we react with with running away, if we react with um, somehow closing off, it simply recreates the fear. It deepens it and we'll be more likely to avoid similar situations it cuts off the possibilities. If we can relate to it with openness, with some presence, with some trust, then that also conditions future encounters. That's what deepens our trust and our confidence. So every encounter counts. There's that image that the Buddha gave of filling a a bucket under Um, a dripping faucet. Each drop doesn't seem like much, but drop by drop, the bucket in time gets filled. It takes a lot of courage, granted. This is what we're learning here. We're learning the courage to face this moment and seeing that when we do, it's quite amazing, this mysterious show that's happening all the time. And what is left when we see through the fear, something much faster than that. This, This purity of consciousness or emptiness, whatever your image is for the unnameable, but it's waiting to be discovered. It's inviting us to discover it all the time. I want to read this from uh, Wang Po, a Chinese um, Zen Patriarch. Your true nature is not lost in moments of delusion, nor is it gained at the moment of enlightenment. It was never born and can never die. It shines through the whole universe, filling emptiness, one with emptiness. It is without time or space and has no passions, actions, ignorance, or knowledge. In it, there are no things, no people, no Buddhas. It depends on nothing and is attached to nothing. It is all-pervading, radiant beauty, absolute reality, self-existent and uncreated. This is what's just underneath all our impressions and thoughts and reality, just here waiting to be discovered. And fear is the doorway because it is movement into the unknown. So if you can see it as an ally in your practice, it can be a tremendous gift. Don't be discouraged when it comes. It's, it's a friend. It's saying, take a look. Trust. So, um, let's sit for a few moments. This talk was given by James Barras at Insight Meditation Society on September 5, 1993. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed Audio. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.